Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Good, good. I was telling you about my adventure at Minute Maid this week, and I got to go for the first time and had a great time aside from the fact that they lost. But you got to go to a game that they won. Yes. I'll take full credit for it, but Mm -hmm. I actually had a friend who, I don't know if he hadn't been to a baseball game before, but he's like, could you show us Minute Maid Park? And I was like, (laughs) Will you just go in and find your seat? Like, I'm, I was a little sure. bit, but like, I think he was trying to find a nice way to be like, would you come with us? Yeah. And so anyways, he really didn't know a lot about baseball or anything. And it was like, well, this is a good game for an introduction when no you win doubt. 11 to 1 and everybody's smacking home runs and stuff. So. Yeah. No, that's so cool. And is he from Houston or? He's not from Houston originally. He's here studying while well, he's getting his PhD cool. in philosophy. So Ooh. yeah, he has all like really deep questions and everything where I'm like, am I supposed to be awake for this? <laughs> I was going to ask you, as someone who's getting their PhD in philosophy, I would imagine that they're sort of just their train of thought and everything is so folk, like, because obviously a bunch of the hours in a day is spent studying and reading and writing and researching and everything that like, maybe like, does he communicate in like a philosophical way or? Well, he's easy to talk to, but it would actually, it's actually kind of interesting just because there are certain things where you'll be talking about what's going on in society or whatever. And he's like, you know, he'll be like, well, that's actually just a byproduct of like Greek thinking from Aristotle or like, there's a lot of, there's nothing new under the sun when you're like, culturally, why are we at this place in the, in society? He's like, well, this is fairly cyclical, you know? And you're like, huh? Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I'll have to ask more questions when we're not talking about drilling fluids. Right. Right, right, right. So we say he's here. Is he from, Outside the U.S.? or No, he's from no. Kentucky. Yeah, I got you. Well, Kentucky sounds like they have had a bit of a rough time lately with the yes. floods. So hearts go out to Kentucky. Absolutely. Other side from reading the headlines, it sounds like they got a lot of rain. Is it just like a bunch of rain? Yeah, or? some flooding. I hadn't read in too much, but I mean, I think there's so almost 30 people have died in all the flooding and yeah. they're expecting to get worse as the waters recede. Oh, so. that's sad. Well, anyway, moving on to drilling fluids and working internationally. Matt, this is something that you've got a lot of experience with. I would say, I I don't know if you want to call it Canada, well, being from Canada, working in the U.S. international, but to us, it was working internationally. And while you think the imaginary line called the border would make not much of a difference going from Canada to the U.S., but even I was uh, actually experienced a little bit of a different culture and, and just the way different people communicate, you know, across the line there. But anyway... Working internationally, Matt, how would you describe working internationally? And, and I think it'd be good to kind of chat at the sort of the differences and the commonalities. And Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us who work in the U.S., you know, very much aspire to work overseas someday or, or like they think of some of the potential adventure experience. And I certainly had, you know, all in all good experience. But the other part of it is, as you mentioned, it depends on what's your definition of working internationally. So going across the border there's like, you know, meters and, <laughs> you know, things like that, unit sets, expressions. Yeah. Things are pretty different. Like, I think one of the reasons that we have a Canadian mud company completely separate from us, we share some resources and we talk, but like their business is totally different. And 
similarly, you know, I mean, the Europeans do things differently. There can be just all different number of ways that things can be different. But I, I would say generally, you're probably, if you're fortunate enough to be working in the oil field in the United States, if you go over internationally, you're probably going to a place that's less developed where your skills are more valued, right? Mm. They'd trouble to pay you to come all the way across an ocean or a, you know, boundary line because you have something that the locals do not. And in a more developed exchange, it might just be you show up once for some training or you go out on the rig yeah. and they sort of take it from there. But when you're talking about trying to develop the oil field, you know, it can be quite a bit different. And maybe I'm focusing more on some of those extremes, although Lee can tell you great stories about working in Norway and how different that was. And yeah. the UK, the North Sea is different in its own right. But perhaps thinking about more developing countries, developing not only infrastructure wise, but everything, you know, a rig in many ways, when you get on a rig, it's a rig <laughs> is a rig is a rig, right? Yeah. But culturally how it's operated is not maybe even regulations. It's not. And so those sort of things, I think we as Americans maybe take for granted. We expect to show up and everything to work the way we expect it to. And if they're not doing it that way, they're doing it wrong. Mm. And we're there to like fix it. That's why they, and that can be a very dangerous mindset when you say you're, you know, I'm going to go fix the way they're doing something. Right. It's a great way to make a lot of mistakes and lose a lot of money if you're working in the oil field. Right. And I mean, just from like a cultural standpoint, you know, I've heard folks going overseas and communicating in the same way that they would communicate with locals here, which depending on where you're going could come across as insulting. I mean, have you run across that or can you speak on that at all? Yeah. You know, when I was working in Indonesia, it was a Canadian operator, as a matter of fact, there were two parts. They didn't have any other operation. I think they had operations in one other country and then Canada and then had come into Indonesia and they were drilling an exploration well in West Papua, which is a Papua New Guinea is one big Island, but like West Papua is Indonesia. It was a 21 day sail from Jakarta to get product to location. And, you know, look, I've been yelled at by a few Canadians in my day <laughs> and you know, that's how you get things done, right? Loud, intense show. This is how angry I am. The way to calm me down is to get it done. Right. Sure. And I just remember being publicly berated in a meeting by somebody because we had to substitute out a product that wasn't available and it had to get on the boat, you know? And so it was, you know, it was a fairly petty thing, but I got absolutely blasted. <laughs> and the thing is looking around the look of horror right. of all of the Indonesians who were in the room like you just see how uncomfortable they were and every, and I'm just like, it's the oil field. Here we go again. You know, yeah. you know, I was worried about our position if we were going to get run off, which is kind of hard to do when it's a 21 day sale to get somebody else's products. Yeah. But I was fairly concerned, but one of the company customer personnel, like came running in, in the middle of the meeting with like a printout showing that we had sent this email to them that we were going to swap these things out and that like not to worry about it. And here's your discount or whatever to make sure everything's fair. Mm. And so it was the record that I didn't know we had because I wasn't involved in the project the whole time. Anyways, it was just uh, like, I couldn't believe that even like somebody within the customer's office was freaking out and trying to defend me, which I appreciated. Right. But I went back to our office and I talked to the country manager and he just sort of, I said, look, I got unloaded on. Like <laughs> I, I said, I, I don't know if we're in a lot of trouble. I don't know if you want to come in and meet with this guy and we can kind of try and smooth things over. And he was just like, 
he did what to you? And I was just like, well, we got yelled at and everything. He's like, he did this in front of everyone. I was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. He goes, you can't do that here. Hmm. He goes, you may be able to do that in Canada. You don't do that here. And he was like, that type of public, you know, naming and shaming. He's like, this guy's going to yell at somebody and they're going to wait for him after, you know, after dark or something like that's, Oh wow. he's like, you don't do that in Indonesia. And it was one of those where it was like, okay, I had no, you know, I had no idea, but he told me a story that some Marines that worked at the embassy had done something and then got jumped at night. And it, it was just one of these, he's like, you don't do those sort of things. Like culturally, they, I don't understand that culture well enough, but it was explained to me that, you know, one, you don't publicly confront people in that way. And mm. two, like, there is a fairly normal expectation, like, I'll get even with you in my own way kind of thing. And it, it was one of those, I don't think you should yell at anybody anytime, but just the fact that we're fairly used to it and sort of accept it. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't accept it as much as we do, but it is sort of how yeah. things work in the West. So that was one that was fairly striking as far as lacking that sensitivity and, and just you know, this guy's safety became at risk. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting example. And I'm sure, you know, folks going overseas, regardless if it's Indonesia, I would imagine there's places all over the world where that type of behavior and communication is just not accepted. And it's probably either frowned upon or it's just very unfamiliar to where it can create an uncomfortable environment for everyone (laughs) involved. And so, yeah, I, I would imagine here in, you know, North America, that's, again, when you're on a drilling rig, I mean, i remember plenty of times of, you know, people voicing their displeasures <laughs> quite aggressively and using words that are quite colorful. And yeah, maybe it's just here, but you think here in the oil field, it's just like, that's how we communicate, you know, and we wear like a badge of honor, which is odd, but yeah, there's many places that don't accept that apparently. Yeah. I mean, and as much as you apply that, like you can look at yourself, I just think of it, they call it family of origin issues where it's like you expect from your spouse, the way your family handled things. Mm-hmm. And my wife's family is very like non-confrontational and everything. And my family, like we yell at each other and we get over it. Yeah. And so if I were, you know, raise my voice cause I'm frustrated, it's like a, wow, you must be really angry with me. <laughs> and in my family, like my sister and I will just like shout at each other and move on. Right. <laughs> and we'll do it in front of everyone. Like we, we don't, it's just, <laughs> it's, that's how we handle the family business, but it's something that to be, sensitive to her, I have to be on alert. Yeah. Well, overseas, I mean, so yes, these things can be distinctive in cultures, but like we do it too, right? Sure. Hmm. Interesting. So what about regarding like safety culture? Would you say that there was, you know, a big difference there? I mean, depending on which country and what kind of policies they have in place, but just in general, I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, so we get, look, we can go a long way in improving the safety in the oil field. Like we all know we need to do our part and you can never say you're doing well enough. You always have to be pursuing perfection. But there are, you know, some cultures that sort of kind of leave a lot more to fate. And so, you know, it feels frustrating, but to go around with your Derek hand and say, look, we're going to fill out some hazard observation cards. Like, let's walk around the rig and you'll find like loose wiring and stuff where it's just like not that mindset you see pictures all over the internet of people welding and flip-flops or, I mean, you (laughs) see it and you're like, how on earth would you ever do that? And some of these cultures have been through so much and always been subject to sort of the whims of the world around them 
that they don't see the opportunity to be as proactive. And so safety culture, a big part of it is if you have that, you know, trying to take some leadership, but it's also the part where culturally they're like, okay, this is what you want. I'm going to appease you. Mm -hmm. But trying to get them to go from, I'm going to do this to satisfy somebody else to I'm going to do this so I can, you know, go home with 10 fingers. Yeah. And so it can be very frustrating, but you have to be more aggressive sometimes. So safety is a big thing, making sure people are wearing their PPE, all that kind of stuff. You all of a sudden, you might be a service hand, but you might also have much bigger responsibilities on things that are normally left to other people on a traditional rig. Interesting. Like, Do you have anything you remember or recall or any examples on that or? I mean, probably this is, I mean, when I worked offshore in Indonesia, another, I worked on it in Indonesia for a year or so. So I like a lot of experience there. But when I was on a rig, I think we had 140 people on board and there was like eight Westerners, basically. And so there were hygiene checks to make sure people were taking showers. Oh, wow. And that sounds like strange and silly, but obviously there's a health factor there. But it's also, you know, you're trying to hire as many locals as you can and that sort of thing. And these are villagers who maybe have never worked on a rig before, but maybe have never had a standard eight-hour job for that matter. Yeah. And so you transition them from, you know, kind of whatever they were doing in the village to a much better paying job that demands some other things of them. And showering and washing your coveralls wasn't anything that was part of their natural order of things. Sure. So that was probably one of the stranger ones. (laughs) Making sure everyone had clean underwear. (laughs) I mean, from a health and safety perspective, you know, it was just one of these, you know, somebody up on a ladder and not being tied off and that being a completely normal thing or or just things you'd say, like be shocked at how much risk someone was willing to take Mm. just for the, you know, it's like, I want to make it home. Like, this is just a job. Come on. And even, I mean, I remember in Azerbaijan, they did a safety audit and they said, okay, you know, go climb up on the tank. And the guy harnesses up, he climbs up the ladder and at the very top, he clips in. <laughs> nice. And you're just like, like, <laughs> you know, but these things happen and, you know, you can't make fun of people. You can't ridicule. It's just, this is not a normal aspect of their culture, their attitudes towards these things. Right. And to make sure that you're looking out for them, it might not be your job, but you have to be a lot more aggressive because there's more of it happening. Yeah. And so to me, that was a big difference. No, that's interesting to have to kind of fill the gap and be a leader at the end of the day out on location, right? And I yeah. think that sometimes when you've got a level of experience that you do and, and maybe coming from the West, you're held to a certain standard and they just automatically think, oh, well, he's here. So he's going to help make sure everyone else is okay too and make sure everyone does their job. And so, yeah, it's interesting because that's just part of, I guess, the experience and in, in working in places like that. What about, you know, security? I've talked to people that have worked in very remote areas where you may have security guards or a surrounding location or, you know, can you speak on that or maybe some areas that we might encounter something like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, so... A lot of times before you go to one of these places, you check out the U.S. State Department and see what their, you know, take is on a country and some of them trying to figure out where the embassy is, things like that. But security can be anything from, you know, in Muslim countries and some of them, you know, it probably wasn't a good idea to make very clear that you're an American dressing to blend in. Don't a ball cap, shorts and sneakers is kind of not the way to go. With like a big American eagle on the front? Yeah, you know. And I mean, so like in Indonesia, 
there were things that never made the news that it, it was like there were bombings in some of the buildings. I met somebody at the Ritz Carlton and the restaurant we were in a few years later was bombed. I mean, Whoa. you know, so there's metal detectors, there's other security measures, but there's also just things you do as an individual to lay low. And, you know, sometimes we draw a lot of attention to ourselves and a lot of cultures don't like that. And so there's a good story about not blending in. But <laughs> okay. when I worked in the Jakarta office at my old job, I would go in and the security guards, I would always be really nice to them. And, you know, we'd go through our routine of saying, good morning, how are you? And we'd have a little conversation and then I'd go through the metal detector and go up to the office. But we would always practice, they wanted to practice their English and they really valued it. And so I thought it was, you know, it was just something to be a little more friendly and engaging. But one day it was like a Saturday morning. I had to get up really early because something came up on the rig and I couldn't do it from the hotel. This is before pretty good internet access. So my driver takes me, and of course I had a driver because it's another thing. You don't drive in some of these countries because of some of the issues if you're a foreigner. Yeah. So I get to the office, and the security guards are there, and I'm wearing sneakers, shorts, a ball cap, just trying to like put myself together, pop into the office, and be on my way. And the security guard walks up with kind of a smile on his face, and he looks at me and he goes, so how was jogging? <laughs> and like the whole thing in Indonesia was like, these white people like put on shorts and go running and basically get run back to the same place they started for exercise. And they think it's like the dumbest thing they've ever seen. Wow! And so like, he, you know, he was trying to be friendly, but it was like the only reason you'd be wearing these clothes is if you were going jogging. Huh. And so it was funny. Like I didn't have the heart to tell him, you know, or didn't have enough words to explain. So I was like, oh, that was great, you know, but <laughs> yeah, it was a nice run this morning. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, it was one of those, you know, they have their own ways of explaining the weird things that are strange to them too. Right. Right. But the security side of things, you know, getting briefed on, you know, maybe there are places you shouldn't go, or maybe, you know, the other part of it is a lot of it is sensitivities. You'd go yeah. into a country and then they'd say, look, don't Google this stuff. Don't have an opinion on, you know, some local issue. Like these are sensitive things here and you don't need to be drawing extra attention or trying to get in a, you know, pick a fight when it's their country. Yeah. And so, you know, there are just things and you'll realize fairly quickly, I think, what to not talk about. But it's also very helpful to sort of get a country briefing and and be warned of like, you know what? I know you like Googled this country before you went to it, but like these three things, even though lots of people are talking about them, let other people talk and listen. Don't argue. Don't, you know. Huh. I don't know why this is popped in my head, but it was interesting when I, because I was, you know, working Canada, grew up, whatever, and then came down here. Well, my first experience on an offshore rig in South Louisiana, I was on a jackup. And when they found out I was Canadian and I was fairly young and, you know, growing up, like my family didn't talk about politics. Like politics was just not a conversation. And yeah. one of the company men, you know, the company representative, when I went up to, I can give a mud report or something. I think there was Canada was in the process of like going through voting and you know for prime minister or whatever. And they started asking me questions. They're like, well, what party is you know more unfavorable of this and this and that? And they were grilling me about politics. And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And like they were so confused that I wasn't extremely knowledgeable in Canadian politics. And especially, you know, just given the environment that offshore talking about oil and gas and like everything, it was like they just 
expected me to know and they were like asking me who I was voting for and I was like whoa like this is so like just I was not familiar with that yeah but even like as a Canadian coming here like that was something that alarmed me is like there was things that you were just expected to know and growing up I don't know maybe it's just like in my household or whatever but even talking with friends that have been in Canada come down here it's like yeah, you got to kind of study up on some things to make sure that you have an answer for people. Because if not, then it's like you're, you're looked at as like an imbecile. <laughs> I remember when I was on some rigs in Canada, I was so uncomfortable because it had nothing to do with my political views. It was what people would bring up. Okay. And it was George W. Bush was president. Okay. And I guess what had happened is it was in Calgary, I think. There was like a drive-by shooting or something. They were having some issues with gangs. Okay. And somebody was killed in the crossfire and the person who did the shooting got like four years or something. And so everybody was up in arms yeah. about how like this injustice and everything. And so people would be like, oh, you're from Texas? And I'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, we really like that death penalty thing you guys do. <laughs> and like, it was like, okay, this is just a weird way to open, <laughs> you know, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to respond. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like just, I'm just kind of like, but that was how they opened the conversation. And it was just, it was one of these like, okay, I'm in their play, their space. Right. <laughs> like, I don't really think I'm just, yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm not going to say anything. Right. Yeah. But there was a lot of those kinds of comments that were just sort of, you know, okay, I have no response to that. I'm just going to move on. Yeah, because you're unsure of like how the response is going to be taken. and Yeah, like, and, and it's just one of these, I want to get along with these people. Like, right. let's find some common ground somewhere else. You know, yeah. I'll ask them about hockey. Not a, Yeah, that would have been a good one. And then you'd have to watch if you're a Flames fan or an Oilers fan, because that's a big deal. Exactly, so. yeah. Yeah, all that good stuff, yeah. Well, my running <laughs> joke was hearing these guys talk about hockey, like all of them would basically say something about like, you know, no matter what, you just got to get out there and skate. Or like, yeah, there was some like platitudes they'd all say. And I was like, okay, well. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and culturally, like the fun thing is you will find common ground. It's right. not going to be where you expect it, but you will find places that you can laugh together and enjoy it. Yeah. It's just not going to be your opening conversation probably won't get you there. You're going to have <laughs> yeah. to listen and talk more. Right. The onion's going to have to be peeled a bit before you get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, kind of. <laughs> Circling back to the security thing, you know, the cultural stuff, I could tell you a million stories, but the security thing also in some countries, you'll get briefed. You know, one thing was never put your business card in as your luggage tag. And some of that was associated with a lot of the countries where there were kidnappings of, you know, high value Westerners, because basically the deal was the luggage, they'd see your name. And the other thing was you weren't supposed to have your affiliation. So don't wear your safety award backpack that has your company name on it. It was someone would say, hey, I'm here to pick you up because someone is supposed to be at the airport to pick you up. Right. And then and then the the next thing you know, you're not where you're supposed to be. (laughs) Right. And keep in mind, too, some of this was before, like, even now you might go to another country and you might not immediately have cell phone access, whether you paid for it or not. And for me, like, I'd have to go buy a SIM card somewhere locally. So it was I had, you know. It was very strange. Like Nigeria, apparently there was one person who basically had that happen where they were like, hey, yeah, we're here to get you. And then they were like, hey, there's some unrest. We're taking you to a hotel. We'll let you know. And so they took this guy and he didn't know he was actually being kidnapped. But he didn't know he was kidnapped the whole time either. They just (laughs) went to his company and said, look, if you want to see this guy again, like pay up. And eventually they were able to find out where he was. But he thought he was just staying at this nice hotel, you know, waiting until things calmed down near the office or whatever, which wasn't unheard of either, you know? Jeez, yeah. So that's crazy. I never heard of that. Um, 
But you learn some of those things. Nigeria kind of affected me because I wasn't well prepared for it. Mm. And, you know, I saw just some brutality, some other things that were really hard to take in. And, mm. you know, it's to this day when I walk into a restaurant, I like look for a place where I can see both exits and have my back to a wall. Yeah. I don't have to sit there or anything, but like, right. it's like, where do you want to sit? And I look around and I'm like, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> like wherever you want to put me. Right. Um, Interesting. But yeah, that stuck with me for a while where I'd go to some places and, you know, it'd be a weird hour and I'd just go there for lunch and they were open and I'd go just sit in the back corner where I could see like two doors Yeah, and it'd be like a section where the lights were off and they'd have to like turn them on and <laughs> I thought it was weird and it was like, sorry, I'm just, yeah, this was what we did in other places. Yeah. Security can be a very serious thing, obviously. And it's sometimes hard to figure out exactly how that all works. And hopefully your company is, has made arrangements and that sort of thing for it. But it's a big deal. Wow. Fascinating. No, it's, I mean, you could create a whole episode just on that stuff alone, but just working abroad and, and adapting to the culture and the safety measures and security, it's fascinating. But kind of taking a bit of a pivot here, Matt, talking about the business challenges. I mean, aside from what we just talked about, which is obviously a lot to take in, you know, on the business side, there's probably just as much, if not more, just navigating how people do business, how they communicate, customs, all that kind of stuff. Could you speak on that? Yeah, I think you'll understand that like the Western business mindset is not how the whole world works. And it's not that the rest of the world is waiting to figure it out and copy you. They may be very happy with the way they prioritize things. And I don't blame them in some respects. But what that means is, you know, many times we're like, go, go, go. You've got this, you've got this, you've got this. Like time is money, time is money, time is money. And you might not see necessarily that same sense of urgency and communication can be an issue. So, you know, we've talked in the past, you know, when it was like I needed a certain number of sacks cut, I would have that number of sacks by the hopper. Like I'd partial pallet, I'd do whatever. Yeah. So it'd be like add all of these and when you're done, come get me, not somewhere where something could be misinterpreted. But like that rush mindset isn't everywhere. Yeah. And so I remember a number of times people were, oh, I got to have a cigarette first. So I need tea. I spent so much time in a tea shack on different rigs. <laughs> and, Hold on, you know, let's my, have a tea break. Guys. Yeah. My kidneys are probably better for it, but <laughs> I can only drink so you know, much tea, guys. <laughs> but especially like getting a crane lift or what have you, it'd be, it'd be like, oh, no, I got to go have tea. It'd be like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go with you and let's have tea together. Right. And you'd actually build a relationship. And then when you needed your crane lifts, you could get them. Right. But usually the response was, no, go do my lift. The boat's here. Right. And what you'd realize is like in the same way, a really good Derek can, can sort of see things ahead of time and take care of you. And one that doesn't like you can intentionally not do things they know they could. Mm. Everybody can do that. Yeah. And so your crane operator can be like, I could help. I could wait to be told. Yeah. And so there were just a lot of those things where thinking ahead with logistics and that sort of thing, along with some cultures, if they don't understand you, maybe they're embarrassed that they don't understand your English or maybe they think they understood you. But, you know, I remember, okay, I want you to do this, this and this. And you'd write it down and you say, could you repeat back to me what I just told you? Yeah. Because if you say, do you understand? They just kind of look at you and say, yes. And maybe they didn't understand. And the other thing that kind of stressed me out that I had to learn or be educated on was Asian. I don't want to put labels on these things and I don't know the correct labels. So I'm trying to be respectful here, but kind of a fishing village mindset. 
where the community is looking out for one another. And so we had a filtration hand in, in Indonesia and it was, hey, can you wash down the filtration unit? And yes, okay, you know, and 10 minutes later, you go and you're walking the deck and he's over there helping the rig crew paint the handrail. And you're like, you know, you get upset, which you're not supposed to do. And it's like, well, what are you doing? And it was explained to me by somebody else, one of the other expats on the rig. He's like, look, yeah, you know, make sure he's doing what you're paying him to do. But understand also there's sort of this mindset amongst these guys who come from villages that like kind of what's good for the what's good for the village is good for everybody. So, well, it may be your filtration unit he's supposed to be working on. He's just helping wherever he can, Mm. you know. And you'd say, well, that's not efficient because we can break down responsibilities. And you can say that and they can ignore you because you're in their world now. Wow. You know, it helped me respect and appreciate so much more to be told, okay, this is like, because he wasn't being late. It wasn't avoiding work. It wasn't anything right. like that. Like it felt, was just like he caught him sleeping in some like random room. Yeah, it was just confounding. And as soon as it was explained to me in a way I could understand, I could respect it a little bit more and, and find ways to, okay, let's get our stuff done and then we can do some of these other things. Yeah. So you know? it sounds like, you know, in kind of to summarize that part is like you need a very high degree of patience and somewhat a lot of empathy towards other people's situations to understand. Like they weren't brought up in the same work environment I was, therefore put myself in their shoes. Hopefully I can educate, maybe <laughs> train yeah. a little bit and maybe get them to see things a little different that may be more helpful to, you know, go towards the goal of drilling this well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and look, and it's going to be different everywhere. I'll be very candid. There are some countries where screaming at people got things done and sure. and they expected it. And it was how you, you would see a national do the exact same thing. And I never had the stomach for it. I hated those jobs, Mm. but it was the way things were done in that place. It was a power dynamic or something that I never had the stomach for it, but I certainly would say everything is different. Yeah. There's a whole spectrum. Right. What about, I mean, from a legal compliance standpoint, any sort of thing that you can discuss on that or that you have experience with there? Well, I mean, you know, the thing is there's all kinds of measures in some of these countries that you know, have corruption issues, have other issues where you may take extra steps as a foreigner to make sure that you don't get crossed either with a local government or with your own. Yeah. And that you can still be held accountable for things that happen there that are, you know, against the law and the country you're coming from. That all can vary everywhere. You know, even bringing things in and out of the country, you know, arranging things at customs or, that kind of thing. And, you know, so I think there's all kinds of compliance aspects to that and it gets complicated and I never understood it completely, but it's something to be aware of not only, you know, the way the law works there, but normally you'll be trained locally on what you can and can't do. And some of that's sort of true everywhere. And some of that is, this is how this applies in the country we're working in. And so Hmm. it was very interesting. You know, when I worked in Azerbaijan, they're on the border with Iran, right? And Iran is heavily sanctioned by the West but as the Azeris do business with the Iranians all the time. Yeah. And so their mindset towards doing business with them was, you know, no big deal. Yeah. However, that was something you couldn't be involved in. So, hmm. you know, things like that that you don't worry about here, right? It's pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, no, lots to consider. It's very interesting. And, you know, I'm sure for the listeners out there, there's probably tons of questions. And, but Matt, I mean, aside from everything we've discussed, does anything else come to mind, you know, working overseas? And again, like for the listeners, I, you know, I've worked, you know, Canada and the US, and there's a lot more similarities than differences. But so, you know, nothing really too crazy on my end, aside from making sure you've got your politics straight. That's one thing on a rig that, again, yeah. that was just a small example. But yeah, I mean, I did find like some small, and again, I don't know if maybe it was a drilling contractor, but as a drilling contractor, I remember when a mud engineer would ask me to do something, I would ask, you know, if he told me to jump, I would say how high. It didn't matter. And so as someone like a lease hand or a floor hand on a drilling rig up in Canada, it was like you were expected to, anyone that came on location, you catered to them without question. And then when I came down here as a mud engineer, I found it more challenging to get things done for me. Yeah. And it was almost kind of like, yeah, 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 we'll get to you when we can. But back home, it was like the drill would say, yeah, you work for me. But it was almost like you're catering to a guest. If a Mm. guest came on location, you better treat them with the utmost respect and work your tail off just as hard for them as you do for me. And so I remember, so as a manager, I was like, I'll get all this stuff mixed. And I was like, wait, like, why are you not working as if you do work for me? And I was like, oh, okay. There's a little bit of a different sort of hierarchy or thought towards it. But Aside from that, I mean, Canada and the U.S. are very similar in many senses. So Yeah, I mean, you know, the other kind of business distinctions, too, that come to mind, you know, one is a nationalization plan. So you may come there as a foreigner, and the expectation is you're to train other people. And this country, you know, wants to prosper from the oil field. They expect you to train their people and ultimately replace yourself. Right. And so that is actually expected. You document that. You identify people. You may send them back west for more training. But that's one of the expectations that's a little different, even though if you look, we're ignorant to it in the U.S. But, I mean, when you came to the U.S., you probably needed a visa, right? You had to go through some things yeah. to get approved. It's not that you got to get a work permit. You got to do some of these other things. There's yeah taxes. And then, you know, the other thing is local content. So a lot of countries will require that if you can source it here, you don't bring it in. Right. And so some of those things, you know, give you points on a bid. It may be that you start working with small startup suppliers in a country that you don't know a lot about because, and so then, you know, quality control is more of a challenge, some of these other things, but it's really important to the host country that you pursue these things and actively change your product mix to favor local production if you can. Hmm. And so, you know, it's complicated, I think is probably the mention, but I think, you know, the real big takeaways are you're in somebody else's world and respect it. I think that's a big thing. But my most important advice, go out with a local. If you if you go overseas when you're working, there's always somebody who's, you know, pretty accommodating in the office, probably speaks good enough English that could take you out for a meal at a restaurant they enjoy. And one, I found so many of them are so honored that you would take an interest in their culture. Mm-hmm. And two, you'll build a real friendship that you would never get if you were vacationing in that country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just had, so one of my most memorable, shout out to Azar Bamadov. Um, right. If you're you listening. Know, Azar set up a special meal for us. He had a friend who owned a restaurant and there was a lamb that was like soaked in wine for 24 hours and then roasted and everything. Oh, wow. And we all as a team with all of the guys there got to eat this wonderful meal together. Cool. And it's something like I'll never forget. It was just a really, really special thing to me. And I've been able to do that in other places on a smaller scale. But that was one of those where you could tell how honored he was that we were able to have a traditional Aziri meal. Mm. And, you know, to share that and 
also, I just felt like we were all so much closer as a group after that. Yeah. And so anyways, sharing a meal with a local and let them pick the restaurant or how you're going to do it. Well, I had a similar treatment when I came to Houston for one of the first times, and I don't want to mention their name, but they took me out for a localized meal like that. And it wasn't a lamb over wine, but it was a place called Hooters. Oh. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> Delightfully tacky and unrefined. <laughs> yeah, that I've was, seen the, yeah. That was my, they were like, we're going to take you to American lunch, and we went to Hooters. <laughs> I'll tell you who it was after, but it was pretty funny. I already have a pretty good idea. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, though, it was either that or Lupe Tortilla. I choose Hooters. But anyway, I digress. Matt, this has been a very interesting and, and I think just a very, just a cool conversation. And for those out there who have had the opportunity to work overseas, I'm sure you can identify a lot with what Matt's saying. And if not, kind of hopefully it gives you a glimpse into what you could expect or if you do get the opportunity. Some good pointers, Matt. I think you just touched on so many good points for folks that if they're going over there, things to consider and keep in mind just for your own safety. And again, just respect other people's, you know, whether it's business or culture, homes, everything else is you're going into their world. And so go in there with some humility and work hard and respect everybody. And I'm sure everything will go just hopefully as planned. And if anyone out there has any questions for Matt, especially, or even myself, hit us up on LinkedIn. You can send us an email at the podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, any closing last words before we let everyone get back to it? I think I'm all set. That's it. Take care, y'all. Awesome. Thanks again. Please subscribe, leave a review, share, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.